How much hush money do they pay to the hush puppies? Answer me this, answer me this. How long will I live if I eat only chip parties? Answer me this, answer me this. Welcome, listeners, to the last episode of Answer Me This before we go on three months paternity leave. Can I call it the season finale? If you do it in a growly American trailer voice, yes. Okay. This is the season finale of Answer Me This. Where we spend all of our budget on blowing up all the sets. And and tie up a lot of loose ends. We're going to finally explain why Martin's here. What? But we also want to leave a cliffhanger so that we get renewed for another series. (laughs) Well, here is a question from Chris from South Wales, who says, I'm currently in Disney World, Florida. Wow. Watching the Merry Mickey Christmas Parade or something. Uh Uh-huh. Ollie, answer me this. Did any Disney cast member go on to become really famous? I'm talking specifically about cast members working in the theme parks, not your likes of Britney Spears or Justin Timberlake. Yeah, who were in the Mickey Mouse Club. At the same time as Ryan Gosling. I know. What a weird mixture. Amazing. Yep. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's well known, isn't it, that there's a, a graduate course, really, from, uh, you know, being Hannah Montana style yeah. acting to being dirty pop star shoving foam fingers up your vag uh, but um what about people who actually work in the theme parks then going on to acting and dancing and singing careers well there have been many oh okay and and how many of them were just in the foam suits anonymous and how many were visibly themselves in a princess costume uh none of them were in foam suits and anonymous oh um, but, and i don't think that's a surprise actually because i think if you're someone whose uh, ambitions lie in being a famous face yourself you're not going to subsume yourself inside a mickey costume plus yeah but you might need to just to have work no the thing is it's also they're really short so g- generally oh, actors okay. i know people always say cliches oh they're much shorter when you meet them in real life yeah but they used to have to be quite statuesque usually in hollywood so right, right. you know if you've played mickey or minnie you're four foot tall um so there haven't mm. been too many of those uh, however uh, michelle pfeiffer in the <laughs> mid 1970s played alice in wonderland in the main street electrical parade i suppose because she's from orange which is close to the first ever disney park uh, kevin costner worked <laughs> as <laughs> don't just laugh at a mention of his name it's not at mel so... gibson levels yeah Helen. but he's pretty grumpy <laughs> no it's funny you should say that he he took on one of the most uh, uh kind of evangelistic enthusiastic roles in the park actually wow uh, as a tour guide on the disneyland jungle cruise oh wow you really couldn't half-ass the tour guide could you it's quite irritating if it's one of those rides it's a classic attraction the jungle cruise but it's quite irritating if you've ever been it's, it's often a wannabe stand-up comedian mm-hmm. trying to do family-friendly material quite irritating because mm. um, it's, it's it's one of the only rides where the cast members get to improvise their own version right. of the script do you think talent scouts go to Disney for that. Like model scouts go to Topshop Oxford Circus to look for 14-year-olds who, who are willowy. Yes, I think if they're looking for talent that is based purely on the way you look, then yes, mm-hmm. because uh, that would explain as well why Kevin from the Backstreet Boys played wow. Aladdin. Of course. At Disneyland. Got the eyebrows for it. He has, hasn't he? You know, when, when I say it, it kind of makes sense. He's still got a kind of cartoonish Disney face. Uh, also, Steve Martin uh, worked uh, in the Main Street Magic Shop for about three years. Crivens. Uh, and learned how to do magic and juggling and banjo playing and creating balloon animals. Mm. Uh, this is all documented, by the way. He did like a special commemorative video for the theme park on their anniversary, which played in the shop. Well, sticking in the US, here's a question from Larry in Salem, Oregon. You ever been there? You're a fan of Oregon. Been close, but not in Salem, Oregon. Hmm. I think it's the state capital. It's not the witch trial, Salem, is it? That's no. the one that's in the east. Yeah. yeah. That's Massachusetts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he says, Helen, answer me this. Why is there such a difference between the <laughs> English and American versions of... Is it going to be men behaving badly? The no. office. The word schedule. <laughs> yeah. It is, for he's a jolly good fellow. 
The oh, annoying right. song people sing on people's birthdays when they run out of happy birthday. Or because they didn't want to pay the rights when there were rights on happy birthday. Correct. For He's a Jolly Good Fellow, according to Guinness, is the second most popular song in the English language after happy birthday before wow. Old Lang Syne. What? Yep. More popular than Sorry by Justin Bieber. <laughs> More popular than Imagine. Good God. The answer for any why is something different in America to Britain always is because there's an ocean between us. Yes. Different country. Yeah, but it, it still morphed, presumably, from a British origin. Uh, what is the difference? Uh, I assume he means that in America, the prevalent version is, um, which nobody can deny. Which nobody can deny, Whereas and that goes on forever. It's so, say, all of us. But some versions mm. have both those lines. They start off with, which nobody can deny, and then the second round is... And so say all of us, or the other way around. It's a bit like the racist second verse of God Save the Queen, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> people don't really know that bit. They just know the beginning, don't they? For he's a jolly... And then it kind of runs out because yeah. everyone's bored of singing it because it's a rubbish song. To be honest, the difference between the English version and the American version is not as substantial as the difference between those versions and the original French version, which was... For he's a massive wanker. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it, was, um, it was from the French song Marlborough sans va-t-on guerre, which uh-huh. meant Marlborough's left for the war. Uh, which was composed the night after the Battle of Malpaquet in 1709, the bloodiest battle of the War of the Spanish Succession. Uh-huh. And it tells how uh, Marlborough's wife was uh, mourning the fact that he didn't return from the war. But actually, he didn't die until 13 years after this war, so it was Just bullshit. as well, they didn't have the lyric, which nobody can deny in that version. Yeah, exactly. Though. Which everyone can deny. <laughs> which historians will investigate. Wait, wait, so so this is the Spanish Succession, is that what you said? It's the Spanish... Succession. Succession, what does that mean? There was a very long, bloody war about uh, who owned Spain, basically. Okay. Um, and uh, so the lyrics included such verses as... He's dead, he's as dead as a herring, for I beheld his bearing and four officers transferring his corpse away from the field. Wow. But in French, yeah. it's a really long, miserable That's song. That's really macabre. Most yeah. folk songs have their origin in something quite depressing like that, don't they? And then they yeah. become sort of jolly things. I mean, some people say that For He's a Jolly Good Fellow was a medieval song that they sang on the Crusades, but there's no evidence for that. But still, like, the... The transition of this from like the dead as a herring song to what we have now <laughs> is kind of sketchy. So allegedly it became popular because in the 1780s, a wet nurse, Madame Poitrine, which sounds like bullshit because I think Poitrine means cleavage mm-hmm. in French. She was singing it to Marie Antoinette's infant son, Louis the Seventeenth, as a lullaby. And because Marie Antoinette was such a trendsetter, everyone started singing it to their little children. That does sound like bullshit, doesn't it? And then lots of different versions came out in the US and the UK over the 1800s. And I think for a while it was known as We Won't Go Home Till Morning and one of the verses was for He's a Jolly Good Fellow. But then that took over. But again, like the evidence is sketchy. The version with which nobody can deny was available in Britain (laughs) at the same time as the USA because uh, Charles Dickens mentioned it in Household Words magazine which he edited 1851 to 1859 he had been to the USA in the 40s so maybe he picked it up there but maybe they were basically interchangeable what I hate about it is it's so indiscriminate like the original version that you're talking about was about a particular set of events fine now for he slash she is a jolly good fellow well all he's done is blow out a candle on a birthday cake. You know, if that qualifies you for goodness, the jails would be empty. Tell me more about what this person has done. It's not enough. It's not personalised enough. He helped me fix my roof. Exactly. He helped me fix my roof. For he is Ollie man. For he is Ollie man. <laughs> he's a big Disney fan. Which, Which nobody, nobody can, can deny. <laughs> if you've got a question... Then email your question, yeah, to answer mail this podcast, googlemail.com. Huh. Answer mail this podcast, googlemail.com. 
Question from Will, who says, Every time I reach the bottom of yet another box of breakfast cereal, I'm filled with melancholy, as I remember those glorious years here in the UK when eating cereal meant receiving free toys! Mm. <laughs> and also eating near neat sugar, yes. even if it was sold as a health food. Yeah, it makes the milk go chocolatey, and you'll die sooner. <laughs> Great. <laughs> who needs teeth? <laughs> Will says, I'm talking, of course, of the free gifts that most cereal boxes used to contain, plastic tat and figurines promoting 80s films, usually. Yes. My dad wore for years a pair of sunglasses that came out of a cereal box even Brilliant. though they lost an arm fairly early on he persisted with them i uh, my friend jeremy's dad used to wear them glasses he got free in a happy meal as well all summer he would only wear things he got free in a happy meal <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't allowed in mcdonald's again no, no. Uh, Will says, I'm guessing that a heady mix of evolutions in health and safety, marketing methods and economic frugality led to the demise of the breakfast cereal free gift. Your your guess is half right. I don't think economic frugality came into it because they Mm. still do give away gifts. It's just you now have to collect tokens and send off for them. So, Ollie, answer me this. What was the first free gift to be given away inside a breakfast cereal box? The first to be given away actually inside the box, literally amongst the cornflakes. Or in between the bag and the box. Would you count that? You would count it. Yeah. Is lost to history. Oh. No one knows um, because it wasn't regarded as an important thing at the time because uh, for 23 years, <laughs> Kellogg's ran a promotion with cornflakes where you could send off for a kid's book. Right. And so whenever you ask what's the first thing that was given away with cereal for kids, it is the Funny Jungle Land Moving Pictures book. Great. Which uh, huh? I imagine was probably revised for racism over its 23-year lifespan, <laughs> uh, but was started in 1906. Um, right. And it was to uh, build an association between children learning, growing, and eating cornflakes. Um, and so the promotion was if you bought two boxes of cornflakes, you could send off to get the book. Classic. Um, so that's widely credited with like the idea of cementing the relationship between children and cereal and toys. Yeah. Uh, but actually, um, you know, it then became a trend and no one quite remembers who put the first thing in. Damn it. But it's because it was all tied in with the evolution of plastic. So when plastic made developing things like toy soldiers and spy glasses much cheaper, there was suddenly a spate of this. Like as soon as yeah. one company did it, you know, as soon as Kellogg's did it, Nestle did it, etc. Um, so everyone was doing it by the 1950s and 60s. Did they invent Snap, Crackle and Pop, the characters, just in order to be able to print out plastic toys that then they could put in the box and be like, get this, collect all three? I wouldn't imagine actually that they did mm. um because people have got so much more cynical and targeted when it comes to marketing for children haven't they yeah tony the tiger is just a machine isn't he they were they were feeling their way around i think in mm. the 1950s and 60s and the idea was you know if you can build any kind of character on the cereal then children are more likely to want to take their parents to the aisle to buy it and then a separate discussion was and then you could put a toy in it and then they'd be more likely yeah. to repeat order but the modern way of thinking of it is you know, let's let's make sure we get the website and the app and the theme park developed before we've even decided what the cereal tastes like. That's that's reverse engineering once yeah. you realise what a huge business this is. Yeah, and all of cereal really is a massive con because even the stuff that is supposedly healthy is still... It probably has as much sugar as if you just ate biscuits. 
Yeah, well, the thing is, if you drink orange juice every morning, you're yeah. drinking a lot of sugar, aren't oh, you? Oh, yes. Um, so as soon as you start uh, preserving it and, and putting uh, dried oats in with it as well, that doesn't make it suddenly not sugar. Just be so much better off having the neat gin. Uh, but um, you're hinting at why it's no longer fashionable to include toys with the uh, cereals. So yeah. uh, it is, it's partly health and safety. Is it partly because the law's changed about marketing stuff to children? It's No more free cigarettes for them. It hasn't changed, but it's in anticipation of any changes that would be imposed. Is it kids choking on the on the toys? It's never happened, as far as I can tell, okay. but there have been plenty of instances where either a child nearly did hmm. uh, or there would be fears that a child might because the toy broke. Um, so yeah. two specific right. instances, both involving Kellogg's, obviously the world's biggest manufacturer of cereal. So statistically, that's going to be... Yeah. Well, when they do a product recall, that costs a lot of money, mm. right? So in 1988, um, a girl in Pennsylvania nearly died uh, after choking on a cool flute toy oh, in geez. Corn Pops. Um, and as a result of that, they recalled 30 million flutes. It's amazing that they made 30 million flutes in the first place, wow. isn't it? I mean, considering they weren't actually flutes, they were just little plastic shapes in the shape of a flute. And then in 2000, they had a similar thing, NASCAR-themed toy cars. The wheels started coming off. There's no evidence that anyone ever put them in their mouth, but if they did, they might have choked, and that would mm. be Kellogg's fault. So they recalled that. So each time they do that, it costs a lot of money. Um, and then they started being like environmental protests as well. So, you know, like mm. Kellogg's aren't getting enough of this with people saying, oh, it's full of sugar and you shouldn't give it to your children and you're the spawn of the devil when all they're trying to do is make cereal. They then also were getting people complaining saying, yeah, and the toys you're manufacturing, you're making in China and you're importing them and it's costing loads of money and you're damaging the environment. And this, by the way, I think excellent sounding toy runs on mercury. It was a... <laughs> uh, what? It was a Spider-Man watch um, that um, when you uh, press the button projected... Uh, its own little Spider-Man wow. logo onto the ceiling. Cool. Yes, but it ran on a mercury oh, battery. Shit. That's, that's <laughs> like there was um, a children's toy that was recalled a few years ago. It's one of those ones where you wet beads and you can stick them together and build different shapes out of them. Mm. But the coating on them, when it came into contact with water, turned into GHB. Well, <laughs> I um, was also surprised to read that um, because toys are now... Uh, much much rarer in cereal boxes and also because these promotions tend to be quite short lasting yeah um so rather like the happy meal they'll do a promotion for the teenage mutant ninja turtles film but it'll only last for six months if you keep your cereal boxes in pristine condition which of course every cereal eater does uh some of them go for 100 200 now oh dear if you've, if you've got super mario cereal from the 80s it's worth 200 dollars Wow. You'd have to be pretty forward-thinking to have kept your 80s cereal intact. Yeah, because actually for me, it wasn't from cereal boxes. It was cards I collected with pictures of butterflies from my dad's cigars. Mm. He, he used to smoke cigars. So I had this amazing collection of... And I learned loads of butterfly names because he had all these butterfly cards. Wow. That would now be seen as very much marketing to children, the worst kind of product. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure they had... Um, and there was another collection which was dinosaurs. So I'm sure it was here, Dad, here, by Hamlet, and there's something for the kids in the, in the packet. Cereal box toys... The only one I really liked was... Um, do you remember when they do, like, 3D dinosaurs on the back of the box and then oh. 3D glasses inside? Yeah. Like, not proper 3D, just that blue and red thing. Yeah. Mm. And it still you, works. Yeah, sort of works. Well, it makes it less blurry. <laughs> not, <laughs> not for not me. As, not as sharp as a one-dimensional image. I mean, I had bifocals when I was a child, so it didn't <laughs> work at all. So I quite like the 3D glasses, but not so I could look at the dinosaurs on the back. I mean, that entertained me for 30 seconds over breakfast. Yeah. But so I could join in with my dad when Tutti Frutti was on uh, RTL. We'd watch that in 3D. What's Tutti Frutti? What's RTL? Uh, <laughs> it's a German satellite channel in the 1980s, and the show was a strip-based game show that my dad used to enjoy. It's kind of like Wheel of Fortune, family fun, but the girls would get their tops off. Men too, but mostly girls, because obviously there's tits. The practice, though, of putting inedible 
treats in food it's a pretty old one the cereal didn't come up with it because it's like people putting a coin in a christmas pudding or like a little ceramic baby uh, in some cultures they'll put in their christmas food what do you do with the ceramic baby when you get to it you win it what do you do with it? You win it. You put it in a cake next year. Yeah, you probably do. That yeah. is the only thing you can yeah, do. But, yeah, but then it's like the Olympic torch. You get to possess it for what, that what, year. What happens if you're the sort of person that gets lucky and ends up with like 20 ceramic babies? Do you have to just bake them into a cake that's mostly ceramic baby and very little plum pudding? I think it's one baby per cake, Martin. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but Otherwise go... it would look like genocide cake. <laughs> it would look like Chapman Brothers had done it. <laughs> Well, an extra special surprise that comes with this episode of Answer Me This, rather like the cereal toy that gets appended to a box of cornflakes, is uh, that we have just released an album you can buy. Which, like our other albums, is material that has not been on Answer Me This before. It's your questions, this time all themed, in time for Valentine's Day, around love. That's right. So questions of romance. Relationships and sex. Dating. Why my genitals called a thing, all that sort of thing. Oh yes, uh, is in the Answer Me This Love album, and it's available now on iTunes and Amazon, and at AnswerMeThisStore.com. That's right. And if you buy it from us, uh, then you are giving us more of your. So people have been writing to us asking us to actually factor out for them how many more royalties we get by buying it from us directly. Yeah, uh, it's more, more than twice as much. Uh, if but you it's buy more it than twice as much. So please buy it from us. AnswerMeThisStore.com is an hour of all new stuff about love. Yay! And if you want to try before you buy, just uh, listen to today's intermission. Here's a question from Anonymous in London who says, I met my friend for a drink a couple of weekends ago. We spent a while chatting about our love lives. My friend is seeing a lovely new man and is enjoying some lovely new sex. Met a real nice guy, had some really nice nice sex. sex. Then he dropped a bit of a bombshell. Oh. The guy he's seeing has two holes in his penis. Uh Uh-huh. The usual one at the end? Yes. The urethra. Opening. <laughs> yeah. Uh, urethra. You said that like the voiceover that would be you'd be greeted by if you were on the Starship Enterprise docking yeah. somewhere. <laughs> Welcome, urethra. And a second one. Yeah. I was a little shocked and confused at this, and then he went on to say that this was the third person he had seen with this two-hole problem this year. Okay, well then he's using some really funky dating app that puts you in touch only with men that suffer from that condition, because although it is more common than you might think, it is still fairly rare. Is it a problem? It's like a double yoked egg, isn't it? It, No, it can be a problem. Okay, right. Well, Anon says, I'm enough of a woman of the world to have seen (laughs) quite a few penises in my time, but I've never seen this before. Yeah. I haven't been able to get it out of my head since. Maybe that's what Kylie was thinking about. (laughs) (laughs) I've asked friends and colleagues, but no one has ever heard of or seen such a thing, let alone three in one year. No, that is weird. Unless he's a doctor who treats this. (laughs) Mm, What an interesting specialty. Yeah. Here's a question from Miranda who says, Helen, answer me this. What's the difference between cafes, mm-hmm. brasseries mm-hmm. and bistros? Mm. What defines a bistro? Uh, I think there are probably technical distinctions that have kind of blurred over the years. So it was the French that really made these into different institutions. I was going to say all three words seem to have their origins in the French language. Yeah, although bistro means fast in Russian. And so the origin Ooh. of why the restaurants were called that is somewhat obscure but it might have just been that in early 19th century france the russians had been there it was kind of fashionable to have russian culture imports and so it was actually quite a quick way to get a meal fast as in quick rather than yeah. fast as in not eating because that was yes, not that's that right, martin yeah quick yeah that rapid. wouldn't be a good that wouldn't be a good name for no a, so, a eating so, place yeah so as restaurants they were kind of quick brasserie meant brewery 
Whereas now it would be mm. a somewhat chintzy restaurant, whereas a bistro would be a small restaurant and a cafe means coffee. Yeah, so instinctively, I think of it in the price scale. Cafe, cheap. Mm-hmm. Bistro, basically a cafe with hot food, probably a chef in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Brasserie, quite posh. Like, yeah. it, it's, it's, it's the upscale of a, a chain restaurant. So has that sort of come through the same process that we have with gastropubs, as they're unpleasantly called in the UK? Yeah, I guess so. Brasserie is a better word than gastropubs. So it starts it? as a bar and then becomes a, a basically an eating place that has some beer on, and, yeah. and wine, right? And restaurant, the word for that means uh, restore your strength. Does it? Oh. Like restoration, yeah. Hmm. Mm. I'm trying to think whether I find restaurants restorative generally. Like often, often I, it saps your energy, doesn't it? Well, that's the thing. Having a nice sit down, that is restorative, but you can yeah. do that at a bus stop. Like actually, yeah. sometimes <laughs> eating and do, drinking. Do it in a skip. Um, um, I'm not sure that every time I go to a restaurant, I feel like I've been restored. I feel often just. I, it's gluttony, isn't it? I eat too much, drink too much. That's the well, That's often quite hot as well, aren't they? I suppose the function of a restaurant may have evolved over the years. So before it might have been you'd been travelling a long while and you needed some food and drink to restore yourself. I guess that goes back to the origin of inns, doesn't it, and yeah. hotels? Yeah. Because they'd be places you'd go for the night if it was going to have a restaurant. Like, most people didn't go out to eat, did they? They'd go out yeah. on the road travelling, and then it would be the same place. Pubs would be the inns. What I'm thinking of now is Jane Eyre having to go on a long journey when she's a child, and, of course, the coach has to stop driving her occasionally so the horses can have a rest. It's interesting you think of Jane Eyre when you think of literary inns. Shall I tell you what I think of? Go for it. Lord of the Rings. <laughs> very similar. See, I always Wait, think... have you read Lord of the Rings? Of course I haven't read it. I've listened to the Radio 4 dramatisation. But <laughs> it's very faithful, I understand. And it's so funny that you're quoting Tolkien, uh, given your avowed dislike for swords and sorcery. And I don't like victim. fantasy films, but I, as a child, I was really into the Radio 4 dramatisation of Lord of the Rings. Oh, okay. And okay, that was okay. enough for you for life. Let's just clarify there. And mm. I'd happily listen to it again. I, I, I did uh, a few years ago, listen to half of it. I don't know if I've ever made it all through all of it. So there's that classic scene in the end where they meet the, the strider, don't they, early on? Well, it's just, it, it's never classified this way because they're on horseback and they've got uh, supernatural forces with them. But it's basically mm. a road trip yeah. book, isn't it? Yeah, yeah that's yeah. exactly what it is. And that, that first stop at a pub or an inn, mm-hmm. That, that sort of signifies that that's what we're in for now because there's been a lot of nonsense mm. at the beginning, hasn't there? Yeah. Tom Bombadil. Yeah, and suddenly you're like, ah, okay, we're on a road trip. We're in a pub. Cool, pub. Well, I guess Jane Eyre is partially a road trip as well. Yeah, but kind of. Very yeah. partially. Yeah. It's really not one of the chief uh, aspects of Jane Eyre. <laughs> I mean, it would be more fun, though, wouldn't it, if she took the mad woman in the attic out on a road trip at the end? It'd be like Thelma and Louise. <laughs> <laughs> We're opening a cafe that serves only jelly The markup is immense and then we'll get on the telly We want a brand ambassador, we're in talks with Nelly But also Cisco is keen We've put the full menu on squarespace.com You can choose from raspberry, strawberry, lemon or the green one And our website will look great even when we're bankrupt after year one They're not ready for our jelly Thanks, Squarespace, for sponsoring this episode of Answer Me This. Yes, thank you indeed. And thank you for making uh, other people's websites beautiful. And also ours as well, answermethisstore.com. Very simple yes. template, all designed through Squarespace. I love Squarespace. Do you? Yeah, it's, it's like I'm a beautiful graphic designer. Just because you've got a beard, Martin, doesn't make you a beautiful graphic designer. <laughs> I've got black rim glasses. <laughs> uh, <if laughs> oh, so close. If you want to design a portfolio uh, for your personal brand. Or a gallery, or a nicer blog than usual. <laughs> or sell digital files for your... Or, uh, digital business yeah use it to host your podcast then you can do all of that and remember after you've had your two-week free trial if you like it you want to go ahead you want to pay for the service you can get 10 percent off by using our code answer. answer here's a question from sam in norway who says i was reminded about blue rinses the other day sam 
Sam, I sense you've forgotten about this. <laughs> He's in Norway. I don't, is it an international thing? No one has blue rinse. I've only spent three days in Norway. I saw not a single person who had a blue rinse. I didn't even see anyone who looked that old, to be honest. Well, this is sort of the nature of his question. He says, uh, hasn't answered me this, where did blue rinses come from to begin with? Uh, was it only working class, older women in EastEnders that had them? There was definitely people in real life that had them because I used yeah. to see them. And it's true, you don't see them so much anymore because old people have got a bit more style now, haven't they? I think it's more just that the the reason for blue rinses was that um, when you have white hair or grey hair, pollutants and chemicals can make it look yellowish. And uh, <laughs> and therefore, if you... You wouldn't want that. You might as well offset that by looking like a blue siren. So, so to get the brightness, they would do a blue rinse, but often that would just mean it was blue rather than bright white or grey. So it was a mistake, actually. They were trying to get white back. But there were people who definitely wanted the blue rinse, I mean, I'm you sure. Would. You would. Maybe um, it became a sort of accidental fashion because it was happening by accident and then people were like, oh, I like what Maureen's got. I want one. Yeah, probably. I, I think it was just really difficult to get the chemical balance right. And the more you fiddled around with it, the more your hair was likely to snap off. So you were kind of stuck with it until the next time you could get it dyed. But I think now the technology has improved so much that it is harder to have an accidental blue rinse. But that style of pastel hair seems to be very popular at the moment amongst the young. So maybe now if old ladies do it, they look like they're trying to be hipsters. Yeah, I think if I was looking at someone who was 25 and in Shoreditch and they had grey hair with a blue rinse, I'd probably think it was quite cool. Mm. It's very different, isn't it, to looking at an 80-something-year-old 20 years ago. I also read a hypothesis that the older people get, the less receptive they are to certain colours, so maybe they didn't realise how blue it was, or something like that. Mm. Like, they saw their hair as being very intensely yellowy, so they really needed to counteract it with a lot of blue. Well, here's a question from Greg and Helen from Perth, Australia, who say... We are currently in a hotel in Varna on the Black Sea coast of Bulgaria. Ooh. Uh, I was in Varna on the Black Sea Were coast you? of Bulgaria earlier this year with our mutual friend Arno. Is it nice? It was great, actually. It was lovely, yeah. Okay. Although once you got out of the tourist hellholes, which might be where Greg and Helen are. <laughs> uh, but there's some really some amazing food. Okay. I, it's funny because I've never been to a Bulgarian restaurant no, in my life. What's the Bulgarian food style? It's somewhere between... It's very Mediterranean, basically. Oh, lovely. Like there, anyway. It's, it's all barbecued fish, mm. Russian salad... Uh, dips that involve um, tahini. You know, it's great. Perfect Ollie Man fare. Oh, so good. Anyway, uh, the thing most notable about this uh, Black Sea, so called, <laughs> which we can see from the hotel window. Actually, if you can see, you might be staying in the same hotel that I was. Imagine if they're staying in the same room that Ollie Man was in. Wow. Imagine if they knew. Well, there's probably a plaque on there the wall. Probably, there probably is. <laughs> uh, the most notable thing about the Black Sea is that it is actually blue. Wow. Uh, some time ago, uh, I, Greg, went to the Red Sea, uh, which is also, I assure you, blue in colour. Uh, so Helen answers this, why is the Black Sea called the Black Sea uh, and the Red Sea called the Red Sea when they're, they're both actually blue? Well, it's easier to ascertain for the Red Sea because apparently it has a type of algae in it called Trichodesmium erythrium. I don't know. When these algae die off, they turn the sea reddish-brown. Oh, do they? Yeah. But then some other people say that the colours correspond to the positions of these seas. So like you might say, north, south, east and west, the red actually meant south, black was north, and green was east, and white was west. Okay, why? I mean, why not just call I them mean, the, the West Sea? I'll get back to you. I mean, <laughs> the White the white Sea is actually very far north. It's a, a thing on the edge of the Barents Sea, and it's white because it's often iced up. So that's pretty easy. The Yellow Sea, I think, is the other of the, like, the great four-coloured named seas. 
and that is between China and Korea, and that is called the Yellow Sea because it has yellow sand in it. Not because a lot of kids went for a swim one day. (laughs) (laughs) But the Black Sea is more tricky to really pin down Mm -hmm. as to why it's called that. And so the theory might be that it was north when they used to call directions Mm -hmm. that way uh, because it was north of medieval Turkey. But it it might have just been because it was known as an ominous sea because it was quite treacherous and also it would cloud over very suddenly and that would make the waters dark. Hello, Helen, Ollie and Martin. It's Rebecca from Letchworth. I'm currently playing... Skyrim while I'm watching the boyfriend play Skyrim and we've just seen a rabbit go into the water and we wondered whether if you could answer us this um can rabbits swim can they bye I didn't know rabbits swam in Skyrim that's a revelation amazing what they can do with video games now isn't it (laughs) I don't know what Skyrim is what's Skyrim Skyrim is like a big uh RPG it's like role-playing game so you want to play as swimming rabbits no, normally, not interested then. You normally play as someone who like has a sword and can shout loud, and like, like your shout makes things fall over. Okay. And the good oh. thing is, Helen, I feel like I've used up my conversation about video games for the month in that fifteen <laughs> seconds. Get my column on it. <laughs> so it sounds like a battle reenactment society in the form of an online game. Yeah, but there's more methodological individualism than you're suggesting with that comment. Oh, is there? <laughs> <laughs> can rabbits swim? Tell me. I'm desperate to know. Rabbits can swim. Yeah. Good for them. Uh, but it's not recommended for pet rabbits. So, I mean, wild right. rabbits can swim. Um, of their own volition, rabbits can go for a dip and swim. Yeah. Uh, however, um, the general advice, if you have a pet rabbit at home, and especially if you have a swimming pool in the garden, you're thinking, oh, let's take the rabbit for a swim, probably don't do that. Chlorine's probably not great for a rabbit, is it? Two reasons. Uh, they can panic and drown. Um, and secondly, yeah, chlorine. The reason, basically, that rabbits are used extensively in um, skin tests for yeah. cosmetic products is that they have more sensitive skin than humans do. Right. Oh. So if you put them in a, a swimming pool that has a safe level of chlorine for mm. humans, that's going to be intense for a rabbit. After my commute, when I find the time, I can always send a question to the question line. Inquiries are wanted as a part of the plan. Holla Helen, or Holly, or Martin, the sound man. Here's a question from Arthur who says the demise of FHM and Zoo magazines and therefore the lads mag genre was recently announced in the press. Well, sort of. They covered the death of FHM and Zoo magazine. I don't think it was an official announcement like when you write into uh, births, marriages and deaths in the (laughs) Times. (laughs) The death. Uh, Lots of people suggested this was in part due to the apparent availability of a great deal of salacious material on the internet. (laughs) I haven't checked and couldn't comment. Yes, indeed. I was prepared to accept this explanation until I visited my local corner shop and whilst queuing to pay for some mediocre wine, noticed that the top shelf magazine section still boasts five or six different pornographic titles. It's almost as if paper doesn't spontaneously combust at the point at which it's decommissioned. (laughs) (laughs) Growing up in the 1980s, my experience of these magazines was limited to what could be gleaned from the hedgerows surrounding play areas. (laughs) So we we should just explain the, the practice of exchanging porn by leaving it in a wood. Yes, I think yeah. you've just very succinctly explained Thanks. that. Arthur says, These modern mags look exactly the same and don't seem to have adapted to the changing market. 
I can't recall ever considering buying one in my adult life. But you've just told us you grew up in the 80s, so they're not really for you, are they, Arthur? It's Mm. the same people that were buying them in the playgrounds then who are presumably buying them now. Some people prefer the old ways. Those are also the people that mean that tabloids like the star and people haven't shut down. Well, or the sport, more to the point. And it'll be a few decades before they've completely died off. Whereas FHM and Zoo are catering for a younger demographic and thus competing with the internet. Indeed. Ollie, answer me this. Yes. In this age of rapidly declining magazine readership and widespread online porn availability, how are these magazines still in circulation? Is there a crucial market of horny techno-illiterates supporting them? Is there some kind of nostalgia behind their continued existence? I'm baffled. Well, I I think you've actually just, I mean, in a very florid way, you've answered your own question quite well. Uh, Yes, there is a market of horny techno-illiterates supporting them, i.e. old people. Uh, And yes, there is some nostalgia behind that. People, uh, as you were suggesting, Helen, don't like to deviate from their wanking patterns. I have a friend who is 37 who has never seen internet porn. Wow. It's like a unicorn in this day and age. That is extraordinary. I mean, I know plenty of people, a surprising amount, actually, of men Mm. uh, who have told me that uh, they've tried it and don't like it and never go back. Mm. Uh, But to have someone who's literally never seen... I mean, it comes to you. I mean, it's quite difficult to avoid (laughs) it. That's the strap line. Entirely. Um, Sometimes you can quite innocently be searching for something and and presto, penetration. Sometimes Wikipedia photos are rather ripe. Exactly. Um... So, okay, let's outline who might still be buying old school paper pornography. Plenty of people who are 40 and over. Yes, I mean, I'd I'd put it a bit older, I'd say 60 and over, but certainly the demographic who still use their local libraries for internet access. Also, some people might like the convenience of paper and not want to have to sit by a computer, say, when they are stimulating themselves. Well, and also, uh, there are couples who use pornography to get themselves in the mood Mm. um i think again it's probably a demographic thing but i I think you know the process of of going to i know smartphones and you know it's sort of in your pocket so you could take it into the bed with you but for a lot of people the idea of like turning on a computer in the middle of sex Mm. is something they wouldn't do whereas if they've grown accustomed to uh looking at uh magazine images then again it's something that they've they can easily wipe down and take into the bed with them there's people in prison uh, they're traded yeah. in prison. Uh, you, it's quite difficult to get internet porn in prison, but it's yeah. not that difficult to get a paper copy of Asian Babes in. You can put a provocative picture of people on your wall rather than printing it out Correct. <laughs> from the internet. So many reasons. Also, just because these appear to be current issues of the magazine, as I, mm. and I'm sure they are, uh, you know, magazines have a long lead time. Yep. Um, they might only be publishing sort of quarterly now. Might. And just because the uh, strap line on the front says, you know, December 2015, the content inside could be pictures that are 10 years old. Mm. Uh, It could well be that it's not that expensive to actually reprint these images once they're taken. Mm. It's a small royalty and you can sell advertising against that and therefore there is still a business there. It's just a decreasing one. I suppose wanking doesn't necessarily change as much as technology. Indeed, yeah. And internationally as well. Um, You know, you're talking from someone who's grown up in in a presumably quite liberal way and doesn't have any shame or embarrassment talking about your proclivities. Uh, There are people for whom it's not just a question about access to the internet or, uh, you know, their habit. It's that they are too ashamed Mm -hmm. uh, to uh, either understand how to conceal their cookies online and so they'd be worried about that, or they simply could not imagine bringing pornography into their home, their family home or a home where they practice their religion. And uh, going to get a magazine is something they can do and then pretend it didn't happen and throw it in the bin. No, I think probably going for the magazine would have a lot more potential for shame because you've got to buy it off a human being yeah but it's a human being that might be someone in a petrol station that's 100 miles away from where you live yeah it's something that you can take to the premier inn and then forget about i I don't know because there's physical evidence 
and therefore I think it's more problematic yeah, to be, be caught cool. with that than the internet. Well, this is what people used to go to sex shops and do, Helen. You can pay in cash, you know, there isn't necessarily a paper trail. Do you think there's a trust issue in the internet? Like, I know people that, not in a, a porn context, but in other contexts, routinely put blue tech over their computer webcam because they're worried about being spied on. So, yeah. like, things like that, or, like... Some sort of paranoia. How many people do you think feel comfortable about putting their credit card details into a... a I, know, I know there's free stuff. There's loads of but, free stuff. But even with that, is it a website that's safe to visit? Is it's it going to load a load of viruses onto yeah. your computer? Well, also, I, I mean, although it is more typically uh, women who talk about being turned on by words rather than images, uh, men do too. And there are certainly men out there who like reading sexy stories and sexy letters. Yeah, or spelling out boobs on their calculators. Yeah, and <laughs> actually, you know, that's a slightly longer lost a hot form isn't it like mm. like many uh, literary forms that is there on the internet though isn't it it, it is not, it's not the mainstream medium well it is there but it's probably a bit harder to look for people probably don't think it's there you know if the thing that's got yeah. them going for ages is the letters section of penthouse they're going to yeah. think well i'm going to keep buying that so what's the problem with zoo and fhm then that they were a bit too loud and hectoring for men to be able to get off on those words because it's a bit like being shouted at in a pub rather than being left alone with your own imagination. Well, the problem with FHM and Zoo is they weren't pornography. It was softcore imagery that was designed as a sort of fig leaf. Here are some words to read. Just because it's degrading to women doesn't mean it's porn. Exactly. Mm. Uh, and, I mean, if anything, you know, all the people that were celebrating the closure of, of those magazines, if, if the alternative is people going on and finding uh, unrestricted hardcore pornography mm. at every turn, that's not necessarily better. Um, but I did find it a bit hypocritical. Like, And, and I guess Playboy back in its day had that thing of like, oh, people read it for the articles. Yeah. Really well, good. now they've got rid of the, the centerfolds. Mm. They're not having nudie pics in Playboy anymore, so it really will be just for the articles. But back in the day, like I say, it's a fig leaf. Like, I mean, I, I don't have a problem with people consuming pornography, but I do find it a bit weird when they go, oh, it's, you know, it's, a, really, it's a really cool magazine. It's just like, well, if you want to wank, that's fine. But I find, it, I find it a weird double standard. Maybe that's just me. Is part of the issue as well with those magazines is that they were a lot more expensive to produce than the top shelf Raz mags. Yeah, because they did have articles in. You yeah. know, it wasn't just like, here's Bertha. Here's one of her pubes up close. Here's one with her legs open. It was, you know, actually who's, there was some. Here's one of her pubes. <laughs> well, a photograph of a single pubic. Well, you know, effectively. Very that arty. Really amazing. Uh, did you know there's a cryptocurrency for the adult world called Titcoin? <laughs> <laughs> Stands to reason. Fact. Or Botcoin, I suppose, could also have. It could work. Yeah, just, yeah, very good. Yeah, it, both of them require no explanation, which is why they're good names. Very. Uh, also, a lot of people still have pretty shit internet service. Yes. True enough. You're not going to have problems with a Razmag only half loading. My um, dad permitted a porn shoot to happen in his car showroom. What? In the 90s. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I can't remember what mag it was for. It wasn't one of the big ones, but it was a sort of Mayfair-esque spin-off title. So was it women posing rudely on Bentleys and things? Yeah, it was a woman. It was Joe Guest, actually. Really? Yeah. Is um, that porn so much as, like, just titillation? Uh, no, it was legs out, full spread. All right. Yeah. Mm. Uh, it wasn't porn in the sense there wasn't sex. Yeah, graphic pictures. It's graphic, yeah. yes. Hardcore images of a solo woman. Yeah. I don't know what that right. category is, but uh, anyway, I'm sure W.O. Bentley would have approved... <laughs> Um, Really got his engine running. Yeah. uh, But yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Joe Guest, spread eagle across a 1920s Bentley. Did happen in my my dad's car showroom. Did you ever see the pictures? Um, For about 10 years afterwards, my dad kept the softcore kind of page three version Mm -hmm. of it uh, up in the toilet at work. Right. Uh, and then he took it down. I think it got a bit dusty. And also, I think he thought, oh, you know, women are coming in here. I better take it down. And he moved on from Joe Guest as well. Uh, no, I'm not sure really? he did. I'm sure there's a special place in his heart. I'm sure he still holds a candle. 
as it were (laughs) well that's the last question we will be dealing with in this as you want to call it season of answer me this ollie season is over but answer me this will return but during our absence maybe you could catch up on our back catalogue both the free stuff and our first 200 episodes which along with our new love album are available on answermethisstore.com that's right and the new love album is also on itunes and amazon remember it is an hour of brand new material all about romance and dating and sex and all that stuff Uh, buying it helps support the show and of course it will help you tide yourself over from answer me this material lack thereof over the period that we're away and uh, keep an eye on our social media which is uh, facebook.com slash answer me this and twitter.com slash helen lolly where we will tell you when we're going to come back with the new episodes and if you can't be bothered to remember those links in full just click the buttons on our website answermethispodcast.com and you can listen to our other podcasts as well which are multifarious yes if you've never checked out the allusionist or the modern man or song by song then i pity you now might be a time now might be a time to investigate our respective back catalogues as well Uh, and we will be back with your questions yes but maybe hang on to those questions until late april so that you know you've honed them they're delivered fresh yeah whittle whittle them down to to perfection what helen's diplomatically trying to say is we don't want to plow through an inbox with five thousand emails in it when we come back thanks yeah yeah Uh, but still send us some questions just the good ones your best ones yeah exactly yeah (laughs) why why don't you keep a little uh, note of all the questions you think of and then just uh, at at the end of april send us the ones you think are best pick your favorites i might also turn off our voicemails just because the prospect of coming back to like 5,000 drunk <laughs> calls is making me terrified. But I'll be excited to hear from you for the month before we do come back. And we will be back in May. And thank you very much for uh, A, everyone uh, expressing their sadness that we're going away for a short time and B, everyone expressing their pleasure that I'm to be a father. Yes. Good luck with that. Thank you very much. <laughs> Bye! Bye. Bye.